running this, let's go. I'm on a boat, I'm on a boat. Everybody look at me, cause I'm sailing on a boat. I'm on a boat, I'm on a boat. Take a good look. Captain's Log, Stardate, December 4th, 2023. Coming to you live from a boat with Carolyn Robestal. We're talking about gray area drinking and using brain spotting to reduce drinking and during life coaching. I am on a boat. I'm wearing my I'm on a boat shirt. Like I told you. Oh. I would. <laughs> and the uh, for for audio listeners, I'm actually not kidding about what's going on in the video this time. Carolyn is on a boat. Um, I am on a boat. It is not the star date. It's a, it's a water boat, not a space Do you boat. keep a captain's log? Like, do you have to, or does the electronics do that for you now? Is there a black box on boats? How does, how does this work? Um, yes and yes. There, so you don't have to, if unless you're a, and speaking of I'm on a boat now, like the noisiest things are, are going to be around me and trying to maintain minimum Authentic noises. Boat noises. Sorry. Yeah. It's um, a podcast of Arite. Yeah. <laughs> is what we used to drive for. You know. If anything is so loud, it's problematic. Just let me know and I'll see if I can do something about it. But um, it, so if you're a licensed captain, you have to keep a captain's log. Neither oh, of us wow. are licensed captains yet. Do you, but you we have do a quill? <laughs> do I have a quill? Yeah. I have a pointer. I have a brain spotting pointer <laughs> okay. always nearby. Does that count? Maybe I should put a feather on it. <laughs> when you so you just is it a digital type thing of of where you, where you dock and whatever just in case the boat is is found adrift? I do. I keep it on my iPad just because that's where I take all of my notes for all of the things. Um, but I did get my husband like a nice branded bound captain's log that has like the boat name kind of you know embossed on it it's really fancy <laughs> is it like a like driving a cdl like truck like do they they audit your log or you're just supposed to have it if you you're um i don't know because we haven't done that in the captain's license training i'm sure when you get your captain's license they'll tell you what you have to have it for mm -hmm. but really for us it's more just because we want to be able to remember. And even then we talked about how we have been on the boat for close to three months now. And already I'm like, where were we when that happened? What was going on? Wasn't that this person? And it is all uh, already running together. So makes sense that you would yeah. And pirates, is that a thing? Like any, any like boat related? It is. Yeah, so yeah pirates you... are a thing. We've not been in waters where pirates are. We've done all of our traveling so far in the Atlantic uh, intracoastal waterway. So we've been kind of, if you imagine like, a boat freeway that actually mm -hmm. cuts through land that people really only are aware of if they live in the area. Um, so there's always been like a slice of land and then the ocean. We've not mm -hmm. gone. People kind of talk about it. Like, are you on the outside or the inside when you're traveling? And we have only thus far traveled on the inside. What's it called when you go like all the way up the coast and then down the Mississippi river and make like a loop around half the country. There's like some like club yeah. of people that do the loop. Oh and yeah. We're in that club. That's where we're starting okay. in the spring. We're in the but you club. get you get stuck certain places where there's like not gas and provisions like you have yep. to prepare. That's that's yep. wild. Yeah, it's, it's called the Great Loop. The club is America's Great Loop Cruisers Associate, AGLC, I don't know, something like that. But we are in it. <laughs> but yeah, I think, it's a great group. <laughs> I think that we have like uh, exhausted as much as I know <laughs> boats <laughs> um, right now. But that is Me fascinating. Too. <laughs> yeah, so Carolyn life coaches and brain spots and does uh, a lot of uh, cool work from a boat, which means that she can see you uh, internationally or outside of Alabama, unlike me. Um, so I wanted to not only because I, I like her podcast and I like uh, some of the stuff that she's put out there, um, but also make it available to people who email me outside of the state of Alabama and ask me to see them for brain spotting. Because if you're in Alabama, there's a little bit of a wait list for Taproot. And 
if you're outside of Alabama, I'm sorry, but we're not able to see you at all ever. But Carolyn can, and she does, you know, a lot of the same stuff, but more specific stuff than than we do. So um, that's that's exciting. But um, so, like, can you go through a little bit of like your approach and the services you offer and how all that stuff works? Absolutely. Um, my approach. Well, let me back it up. <laughs> we always joke that there's like two therapy profiles that you can write. And one of them is like specializing in complex trauma for yes. dissociative trained in the uh, uh, CBT for the focus of the doctor, okay. whatever. And then the other one is like, sometimes life is an ocean that becomes a beach. But when it is a mountain, the streams <laughs> of our thoughts don't meet the iceberg of our heart in the same way. And those are like the two. They are. Like, I'll tell you now. That, okay, here's <laughs> mentally, I'm gonna compose my my psychology today profile because I don't have one anymore. I I stopped. I stopped. I took it down when I stopped seeing therapy clients and moved just to coaching. Um, psychology today it, tries to help you out because instead uh -huh. of just being like write about what you do, which they know the therapists will mess up, they're like describe your ideal client, and then it'll tell you how they're gonna format it. So when it uh -huh. smushes it together in a paragraph. It kind of has the flow of good copy editing, but okay. describe your ideal client just is such a funny phrase to me. Like, like, like we're a dating on site. Beaches. Yeah. <laughs> like blonde hair, teeth. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, what? Yep. I like all yep. my clients. Yeah. I'll tell you, my if I had a profile today, it would start with in the immortal words of L. Woods after getting into Harvard Law, what? Like it's hard? except we'd be saying it about changing habits and our relationship with alcohol and um, perfectionism. I think those are kind of my main things, but what I love specifically about how I've woven in brain spotting with this, you know, kind of traditional coaching work is that it does make it where people are like, Oh God, that was so much easier than I expected. Not that it makes it easy per se, but it just, and this is so funny to use this, this, phrase because it is so often associated with drinking but i feel like brain spotting takes the edge off of this work oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just takes the edge off so it's not quite as intense or hard for people to make the changes that they want to come and make or any any type of subcortical i say brain spotting because it's the one that i use the most but what i mean is any type of brain body based subcortical focused process that that I think that's my favorite uh, line from Breaking Bad is where like all the guys are sitting around in the basement. They're like, does anyone have any meth? And everyone looks at him and he's like, just enough to take the edge off. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. But, yeah. meth, just enough to take the edge off. But yeah, well, so that's that's how I would start my psychology today profile, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I think that's it is that there's so many people assume that it's about like intellect or knowing something or having information or being told what to do or a list of steps. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, maybe in 1955, but at this point, like we've all seen the Sopranos. We sort of have intuited the CBT. We yeah. sort of have intuited the stereotype of psychoanalysis that arguably is psychoanalysis. Yeah. Like we know that information. We just need our brain to feel different. You know, yeah. like I'm not drinking because I sat down and did the math and then was like, oh, I don't know how to count. Well, I, 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 I keep losing. I can't count beyond three. So, who knows? you know, like it isn't that it's that this feels good. I feel bad. I come up with ways to feel good because that's what my brain is designed to do. And like, you know, salt, sugar, fat, dopamine, 
<laughs> like yep, we, uh, we, yeah we seek it out and and if if something gets in the way we find a way around it so I mean, well, and I, I think sorry I didn't mean to no, no, <laughs> I mean, no. as you were talking to I was like oh yeah there's paragraph two of my psychology today profile right because it's broken into these three main like sections is like here's what I know to be true is that mm -hmm. People want to be moderate drinkers. Like that's oh. kind of what they aspire to as the kind of gold standard for healthy, right? But what I know to be true is that moderate drinkers do not actively moderate their drinking, which is to say it is an adjective to describe their behavior. It is not the verb they are using to acquire the behavior. They're not actively thinking, okay, so if I had someone, and if I know I have an event on Friday and I'm gonna have four drinks and seven per week for women is kind of like the standard in the US, the guideline. So I'm not gonna have drinks four days this week and then I'll have the four on Wednesday. Like people who are truly moderate drinkers, which is to say they just drink when they want to and only when they want to and they never drink more than they want to. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're not actively doing that. It's just how, that's it's like we're looking at this result and then trying to codify how to make that happen. Yeah, that's it's, that's kind of my experience is that no one's actually doing the, the recommendation. They're just figuring out that they don't do the recommendation and then saying, oh, I guess I need to like do the recommendation. But then when they do therapy, they just stop most of the time or cut back to like Christmas whiskey at Christmas, you know? Right. But I just so, don't know a ton of people who've come in. And I mean, I don't do what you do, but I just don't right. know a ton of people that are like, yeah, I'm drinking 30 beers a week. Um, all right, thank you. I got to three. That yeah. that's fun. Like it just tends to just be something that you don't need or you move on from or something, you know, your relationship to it changes, which means that it's not where all of your intellectual energy is going. And that may not be your experience right. at all. Well, but I just don't see a ton of people that are like, Yep, I've had my seven for the week. Restarting next like it's just like it's not coming up if you're not doing it. No one's doing the FDA recommendation. Well, or or they are using it as sort of a prison for themselves, and then they feel like they are a crappy human being when that does that doesn't work for them. Like to just yeah. say, and so what I find most of the people I work with, um, they are not going to seek out therapy for substance use issues because they don't really qualify for it. Which, quite honestly, yes, we've got mm -hmm. the DSM and we've got substance use disorder, but this idea of alcoholic is a self-diagnostic term. Yeah. Um, and so there's this like fuzzy space of, well, do I talk like if I'm drinking the way the people around me are drinking, is that something I go to therapy for? And the answer is not really, <laughs> <laughs> which is why you're saying you don't see a lot of it, right? Like most of my people either are therapists or have been in therapy or are currently in therapy. And they're in therapy to deal with the trauma and the relationships, you know, and then this drinking is kind of this side thing mm -hmm. where maybe we ask about it at intake and we as professionals clock it as not, you know, substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of goes by the wayside. Yeah. I don't have a drinking problem. I have, but my therapist keeps bringing up my drinking problem. <laughs> yes. Exactly, exactly. But so, or or even their therapist maybe drinks at the same level they do. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Because so for my people, what I, what I love is there's this spectrum out there that Jolene Park started and it's called, or she didn't start it actually. She popularized it, kind of like made it more common vernacular is gray area drinking, which is kind yeah. of like this drinking in the gray area between healthy and, and abuse or addicted. 
Well, and, and I, I like think, that because it isn't people calling addiction one thing. Like I just, yeah. I see on LinkedIn and it, you know, uh, not festivals, what do you call them? Conferences all the time. Okay. Like the, the hardcore 12 step guys yelling at the non 12 step people about yeah. how both are wrong. And I kind of disagree with both of them, you know, yeah. and yeah. it, but it's like, you can admit that like addiction is a problem, but not all addiction is the same. Yeah, you know, but the, it's that fight about like that all or nothing. And I, I know that twelve step you have to kind of buy into that in order to stay sober at the beginning, and some people need that. But then th th there's people that are angry that it's extrapolated to everybody. And gray area drinking just seems a lot more general. Like I've never brought that up to somebody and had them be like, "No, absolutely, I'm not a gray area drinker." You know, like I think where it gets confusing though is so now we can you know, self-label as gray area drinkers, at what point then do we gauge, well, where is healthy gray area drinking and where's unhealthy? Well, it's gray, it's hard to say, right? So I have pulled out a subset of the people and these now are the people I work with. And then I work with a different group of people that we can get into, but as mm. far as drinking habits and alcohol goes, there's this subset of people that I call groundhog day drinkers, which is, they're in the gray area, so that's kind of part of it. But another way, another criteria that applies to them, and there are three types of Groundhog Day drinkers. So I kind of have like a little, I actually I have like a video I could share if anyone were listening or like, oh my gosh, I need that video. Like they could just reach out to me and say, can you send me the types of Groundhog Day drinkers video and I'll send it. Um, but when it's a Groundhog, when you're a Groundhog Day drinker, it doesn't matter. It's not about amount or frequency. It doesn't matter how long ago or how recent your last drink was or how many you had it's that feeling of groundhog day which i love a good 90s rom-com and groundhog day is that 1993 bill murray <laughs> andy mcdowell movie right they're, they're still works. making them as a genre like uh -huh. i don't know have you seen little italy yes yes it's, yeah, well because okay. it, it, it was like a jumping off platform for for just this idea yeah but I, and I love it. But so it's that idea, I call them Groundhog Day drinkers because it's that idea of they have a drink, however many they're going to have, whether it's a few or a lot or whatever. But it's that next morning waking up and that repeated, ugh, I just wish I hadn't mm -hmm. had that one or had that last one or had those extra or gone to that event at all. It's that feeling of why can't I just stick to my goals? And that's mm -hmm. what makes a Groundhog Day drinker. It's not about because for and I have been every type of Groundhog Day drinker. Um, and actually, if if we have time for a soapbox, I will climb on the soapbox about <laughs> what we're getting taught about it is bass ackards. But the um, the thing is about all of them, it's not about how many you've had. If I if I had had one drink, I woke up thinking, God, why did I even have the one? I just should have stuck with my zero. If I drank a bottle of wine, it was God. Why did I do that? I should have just stuck with the one I was going to let myself have. But it's that repeated morning of whatever I did is not what I set out to do. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I call them Groundhog Day drinkers. And I think that gives this subset of the gray area population something a little more tangible to say, okay, so I'm in the gray area. How do I know if it needs addressing or not? Yeah. And so then how do you go about treating that if somebody comes in and that's their experience? Yeah, so I treat it using, I have a, a three pillar approach that I call the trifecta of change because I love the word trifecta so much. <laughs> it just feels good to me. Um, it, does it mean it's like three things together, right? Yeah. Is it the same it, as triumvirate? 
They're different. Mm, is it? I don't know because I know the word triumvirate. I'm a former English teacher, by the way. <laughs> okay. Wow. So like words are my thing. I love it, but I feel like I could go down a rabbit hole of where words are the same and are not the same. And the what I love about trifecta is this idea of three things that come together and make something powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and so in those three pillars, which kind of to answer your question of how, how do I treat it, is we walk through these three pillars and part of the, the challenge is that the three pillars, much like with trauma healing, right, are not a linear sequence where we don't go, okay, let's do pillar one for two weeks. And then we're going to do pillar two. They're not steps. Um, mm -hmm. Having grown up in Houston, I always liken it to, you know, hurricanes would come through and we get all of these floods and then people would raise their houses and start to put pillars under the houses. Mm -hmm. And you don't just like jack up one corner of the house. You have to do all feet, of it. And then jack, yeah, you have to do a little bit and then go around and a little bit more to each pillar and then go and add a little more to each pillar. So the whole thing slowly rises. So part of treating it is figuring out how the nuances of how to add which pillar at which time because mm. groundhog day drinkers are all different right um so you're saying that instead of doing steps like a hierarchy being able to do multiple things at once has a synergistic effect where they are all stronger yes thank you for saying that in such a succinct yeah. way for me i think i answered <laughs> my question too in that like the the triumvir triumvirate implies limitation on three on power, like Rome. Yeah. And trifecta is the synergistic effect, making them all stronger. So yes. I was curious. So everyone go take your SATs now and score high on the English because those words will be on there. Can, can you go through like what some of those steps are, or how you work, yeah. frame it, where brain spotting comes into that, you know, whatever you feel like is helpful? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Just tell me when to stop. Just cut me off when you need to. <laughs> I have my um, tea, tea here that I'm drinking for the. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. The, I'm drinking episode. There you go. Not, yeah, I've got my water. Never <laughs> drink. <laughs> 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 I, um, oh, oh, okay. So the, the different pillars. So the first pillar, and because there does have to be a first, like you have to start somewhere, even though it is really synergistic. The first one is the first one because it's the easiest to put in place. Mm -hmm. and does not have brain spotting in it yet. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just what I call, uh, oh, it's the personalized daily support plan, which for most people who, so let's just stick with, and I don't know when this episode's going to get published, but we're recording at a time where the holidays are about to hit in the U.S. and, um, you know, New Year's Eve is coming up, New Year's resolutions, which historically for the groundhog day drinking is coming community, up around the dinner table. Politics is also coming up. But also the idea of dry January is is real big in the Groundhog Day drinking community. And so what happens with dry January is everyone approaches it like this. Let's just take a break. Let's just take a break from alcohol. It's a 30-day break, a reset. And, oh gosh, I'm about to mix my metaphors. Let me get back on. We'll get to that one in a minute. So what happens is people start to share strategies, right? And they'll say things like, yeah, like if I want to drink, I'm just going to go for a walk. And then a Groundhog Day drinker will say, okay, well then this works for all of these people. They just take a break. They just cut it out for 30 days. And if they want to drink, they just go for a walk. And then when that person goes for a walk and then still pours a glass of wine, they think they're the problem. Mm -hmm. When really the walk wasn't the daily support they needed. Mm -hmm. So we have to personalize the daily support, which is true for all of our clients, right? Like, yeah. you know, even up to 
you know, very, very complex, extremely complex PTSD, right? Like we need to personalize how we're self-soothing. And so that's the first pillar is, I call it um, a values-based nurture plan where we, it's almost like an uh, acceptance and commitment therapy type activity where we really hone down, well, what are the person's values and how do we build a support program out of their unique values? Yeah. Um, and what I think is great about that is that I've never seen two people have the exact same set. Like it just is, it, it's a really easy way to individualize. So that's the first pillar we put in because it is the easiest and the fastest to put in. Mm-hmm. Um, is we get our value-based nurture plan and then we talk about, okay, what does it look like to implement this plan? And then we build in the supports for implementing it. Um, the second pillar of the trifecta is the subcortical change, which is just straight. This is where we learn how to do brain spotting. And my clients, because we're not working on clinical things, um, they'll do, they have the option to brain spot with me in a group, which we'll do every couple of weeks. And I'm giving them guided audios and um, kind of a calendar, a customizable calendar of, okay, do this self brain spotting exercise Mm -hmm. X number of times. So it's a very like self-paced. Is that like a free spotting type exercise or something? Um, no, because I am still using four, sometimes five, depending on the person, really specific setups for mm-hmm. it. Um, but we are always coming at it more. I say always, but you know, nothing's ever certain in brain spotting. We are attempting most of the time to come at it from a resource place because it is self-led brain spotting, not clinician-led brain spotting. Um, so we bring that piece in, they learn the different the different setups they do the guided audios it's almost like if you think about um you know a lot of people ask me well i don't want to go to meetings like i don't i don't Mm -hmm. meetings are not what do it for me and i'm like yeah no i don't want to go to meetings either i also don't want to leave meetings (laughs) so i i liken it more to a group workout class like a group fitness class Mm -hmm. uh, where you don't go in it like at the beginning you talk to people because maybe you know them because you see them there all the time because you've all got like class pass and you're you know mm-hmm. at the same classes all the time but you're not then telling them here's what the workout was like for me oh i went you know i was going to order a cheeseburger last night like you're not really sharing all of that you're just going in kind of maybe talking about okay today the goal is legs we're all going to work on our legs right so maybe they come in and i say okay today the goal is we're going to do the crocodile setup so we're all mm-hmm. working on you know creating one synergized story about around alcohol and then we do it <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it's more like a workout class for your brain than it is like a meeting per se mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah i've yeah. I've, I've heard that there's some places i don't think there's one in, in birmingham but i've heard from some people that live in other cities that there's like basically like moderation groups where they just like get around and talk about moderation and kind of health and probably have accountability without total sobriety. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of the gray area, right? Like, mm-hmm. and the beauty of the ever connected age we live in, right? Which is you can jump online and find a community that matches mm-hmm. what you're looking for. And I think that's, what's unique about, my community of people too is while I don't work solely with entrepreneurs, I do work a lot with entrepreneurs. And it's that mindset of, I want to get out of this unhealthy relationship with alcohol, not because I want to, you know, necessarily have stellar health or I want to, you know, beat an addiction, which is true for some of my people, but the 
vast majority are people who like they're just too effing busy trying to run a business to be held back by the ankle weight of alcohol. Yeah. Like, they, it's, it's like nobody's got time and energy for that. They've got bigger things they need to be accomplishing. So I, I it's when you get people to realize how much time it actually is taking up. Cause it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. There's a mistake, whatever. And you realize like, okay, you slept till this time. And then the rest of the day was still kind of a waste because you're not firing on all cylinders and now you're behind for the week and now your sleep's behind. So you're tired, you know, like it just, yeah. and I, like, I think too, like for people in the gray area, like, like tiredness becomes a trigger, but then alcohol makes you tireder, but then it makes you wake mm-hmm. up a little bit while you're drinking it, but then it still makes your quality of sleep terrible yep. and it becomes this vicious thing. And I, I don't know if you like go into like a lot of the psychoeducation about like the, the way that it works in the brain, but I think that's one of the nefarious things about it and why it's one of those drugs that's like allowed, you know, quote yeah. unquote, where a lot of them are not, is that it's a stimulant and a depressant in different parts of the brain at the same time. Yeah. And so you're kind of addicted to one half of it and then the other one is a problem, you know, some of the time. Yeah, well, and perfect segue, thank you, <laughs> into the third pillar, which is I vacillate kind of between, or oscillate, I'm getting my head about more words now, between informed decision making and embodied decision making because the pillar is the same either way but it's that idea of first we got to know these things right like if if i'm having a glass of wine at night or a glass of whiskey at night because i think it helps me sleep well i need to get some updated information on that right um but the problem (laughs) that most of my groundhog day drinkers have is that knowing it is insufficient And that's why we have this Groundhog Day phenomenon, because as you and I know, like we learn in this one part of our brain and we, you know, that information is stored in a different part than this Mm -hmm. like intrinsic drive. And even just to go back to, and I don't know if you have more updated stats on this, but like how the decision making time or the action time between the subcortical and the neocortical or the prefrontal cortex where like subcortical is moving or amygdala i guess is moving at like 0.03 milliseconds which i guess is Mm -hmm. like or 0.03 seconds which i guess is like 30 milliseconds versus 0.7 seconds for the top which is like 23 times as slow i mean Mm -hmm. it's lightning fast in the difference but that's 23 times as slow right and so what i'll tell people is that's why alcohol the way you're describing it too with this um like the vicious nefarious cycle with sleep is it's like an ankle weight, right? Like we put two to five pound weights on our ankles and we can walk around for, you know, 10 minutes, 23 times that 230 minutes, you may start to notice it. Maybe you wear it, you know, for an hour, try it for 23 hours. It's going to be a noticeable difference. Like, but it eats away very slowly when we're groundhog day drinkers versus full on, you know, high level substance use disorder the impact is just a lot i mean nefarious really is the right word right because Mm -hmm. it's so subtle but it's compounding and so that's why the third pillar is because is the informed decision making and the embodied decision making because we need to learn that information and then we need that information so we talked earlier and i know you and i talked kind of pre-podcast about this on our phone call about the idea of like the one continuous story and, you know, like that being like a solid way to describe it, but not really sure scientifically how that's working out um, other than neurons that fire together, wire together. But 
that third piece being, well, how do I embody information? And it's that difference between knowing something and like knowing something. Yeah. And so that's the third pillar is take, first of all, let's get some stuff and let's know it, but then let's like know it so that you act from that knowledge, not just beat yourself up with the knowledge, like a guilt stick later on Groundhog Day. Well, and I think it's that like uh, intellectual memory is tied to like referencing the future and referencing the past, but it doesn't affect me right now. You yes. know, like, it's like, I'm going to drink right now so that I don't drink later on. And then that way I'll get it out of the way or wh- whatever, you yes. know. Like, yes, but it, yes. it's not feeling it's it's not felt or experiential it's not embodied exactly. uh, it's it's exactly. a re- memory that we're kind of referencing about something that isn't my behavior right now but, yeah, you know exactly. everybody who has their last cigarette for you know five years or something yeah yeah exactly and very similarly how right now me that's waking up wish saying i'm never going to drink again is not the same me that's like at this level of drinking people aren't crawling out of bed and pouring a drink. So it's it's not happening at the same time. They're not even wanting a drink until hours later when they've you know, been fighting with the kids all day and running their business all day and are trying to finally settle down and quiet their business running brain, which mm-hmm. you, know, you as a business owner know, like that's a tall order to not take work home with you when you, when you are so actively involved in a business, right? Like it's very different than being an employee. And so then because there's such a huge time delay in those two experiences, like you said, that information is not accessible in that moment. Yeah. It's yeah. irrelevant. It, it, it appears to be irrelevant in that moment, even though it's as relevant as anything else in the world could be. Well, it's not me and my reality that I'm thinking about. It's what I did before that I feel bad about and what I'm going to do different tomorrow. But it, it, it's, not, it's not what I'm doing. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. So those are the three pillars. That's how we, and so we, we do a little bit at a time on each one, weave them all together and snap, crackle pop the trifecta. <laughs> and you do a lot of other stuff too. I mean, you don't just see people who are doing gray area drinking. I mean, you do kind of coaching with other, um, with other people or other types of issues. I do. Yeah, I do. Uh, my second biggest part of what I would call my caseload, which is not, I mean, I guess anyone can call it a caseload, right? Like I'm like, not to sound clinical, is um, just really high performing folks who are dealing. So when I was practicing under my license, my specialties were anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, So now I've just kind of taken that a few notches down and I'm working still with business owners. At this point now they are not drinking because that's kind of like the order of operations or mm, I say not drinking. They're no longer concerned about their relationship with alcohol. They're at a healthy level and it matches what they want. And they're no longer actively moderating. They're just either mm. drinking or not drinking at what is. They're doing what the they want. Them. And that's lining up with what they want to do. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And so then we work on things like people pleasing, healthy boundaries, um, a lot of attachment stuff, but again, not the trauma end of it, uh, which is hard. It's a fine line to walk. Right. And I am, I know there are a lot of coaches out there who don't take that line very seriously. Um, and they'll end up doing trauma work, even not as a licensed clinician. I have a, a huge, you know, soapbox yeah. about that. I think if you're going to be doing that level of work, you need to be working with someone who is following all of the <laughs> ethical and state licensing things in your area. But 
Uh, well, so it, is, it is an important line, but it is kind of a great one. You know, it's like trauma yeah. sort of in everything. But when you're really digging into something, you know, how deep can I go? You understand why yeah. people get lost. But yeah, you do hear some coaches on Instagram talking about, you know, stuff. And it's like, well, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. It gets a little cringy. And um, well, and then so- the, the crystal starts coming out. The yoga starts coming out. That those, That's where I'm really, that's where I get really nervous is that it's like, you know, I got a lot of crystals in my office, but you know, they're not medical interventions, you know? Right. <laughs> well, and I, you know, and I love all, I support all forms, whatever works for whatever person. But if we're going to be talking trauma, it needs to mm-hmm. be someone with some sort of license. Mm-hmm. Um just because there's a governing body and there and there are repercussions for the person if harm does come out of it right like if you're working with a coach you don't really have a lot of repercussions well you're bound by the laws that the person who receives the service has active in their state and you don't know the laws of 50 states a lot of the time so if i get online and i say that i'm a therapist and you receive services to me as a therapist and that's a regulated term in your state Mm -hmm. i mean i think hypnosis is only regulated in all but three is only three states, but I mean, depending on the intervention you're doing, you can't say you do it without a certain kind of license. And you right. look at the internet, it's the wild west. Nobody even knows the laws that they're breaking. Like Exactly. Well, exactly. Which means you right. don't, I mean, when I used to do liability training with churches would go in and be like, this is why you have to have the window here and whatever. And somebody would be like, but what if somebody has to and I'd be like, stop, look in my eyes, pretend I'm on a jury, say what you're going to say. And then they would uh-huh. be like, yep. Sit down. And I mean, like that, that's my line is with clinicians at Taproot is like, imagine that what you're writing is being read in court. Would you still write that thing? Yeah. And we say that with my group of friends that are all therapists too. But um, I guess kind of what I was getting at is, so with that in my background and doing the work I do as a coach, we may not be coming in for that, but I am more than equipped to handle and recognize if and when it comes up mm-hmm. <laughs> to where it's not like I don't have to put the brakes on and be like, stop, we <laughs> have entered trauma area. Yeah. I cannot do this, right? Like I can continue to hold that space and mm-hmm. let that process complete and then say, listen, as a licensed clinician and not working with you mm-hmm. under that license, what I know is that was a clinical something and then I can help them find the appropriate resources. Yeah. So it's a piece of a recognizing that it's out of the scope of what I'm practicing right now and B mm-hmm. still being able to hold that as it comes up and not yeah. having it. Cause I think it can be really harmful if it comes up with someone, even let's say as someone is not licensed and I'm not trying to knock other coaches by any stretch of the imagination, but like you said, the internet is the wild west, right? Like, and so. Well, I mean, a lot of the people may, saying that they do coaching are not even licensed as coaches, you know? Like well, there is no license. Things. I mean, there's no governing body for it. Like even like yeah. I have a coaching certification, but it's because someone decided to not make a, a coaching certification, yeah. right? Like there's, there's, not there's, not, a, there's not a state or national board that's over what you're doing. Nope. And there's no ethics committee. But I, I, I just mean it. There's yeah. people that are saying like, I'm a coach that decided that that was what they were going to call themselves yesterday. Yeah, it's, it's a self-diagnostic label as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so even let's say even if a coach is really you know all about best practices and he and helping people heal and will recognize oh trauma you know came out they still might not be able to handle a person in that state and they may do more harm even with the best of intentions right 
Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's one and of you're the not there. You don't, you don't know what happens when the person gets off. You may never see them again because you're doing teletherapy, you know? So it's right. it, well, not it, teletherapy, telecoaching. Yeah. Telecoaching. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell us something, you know? Yeah. Tell, um, tell us something. But yeah, so it is, I mean, there's just a lot of nuance to the work. So all that to say the other people I work with tend to be um, really high performing, people pleasing, mostly business owners. We do a lot of brain spotting around perfectionism, healthy boundaries, money. Shit, can I cuss on your podcast? Oh yeah, please. We try. Oh, okay, money, before. money, shit. I just um, feel like there's enough podcasts out there. I mean, I'm not going out of my way to be offensive or something, but right. I also have just had an axe to grind for a long time that I feel like mysticism and psychology can be like funny because it is hysterical oh, and it's hilarious yeah there's <laughs> all of these podcasts where they're like here's the 10 tips to stay healthy in spring by eating broccoli and you're just like i don't want another one of those podcasts like i yeah. think that yeah. like you know or yeah. even the Jungian people which are some of the you know cooler therapists some of the time it's like the you know the the the, the i think one of the reasons this Jungian life was so successful is just because they spoke english i mean where you had like other people and then they're just like the power of the archetype is so strong you have to be careful it's like your office is in a strip ball man come on like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, th I think like, what happens too even just from a marketing perspective is that there are people who then aren't going to come in because they don't have that like chilled out like zend out vibe where that yeah. speaks to them right so they they do need to be more of us who are like anyways this shit is freaking nuts right well, i feel like <laughs> it's hard for business owners to find therapy sometimes because the, a lot of times the therapists are like threatened by it or something you know like there's like they view it as like i don't, I don't know what the word for it. you know what i mean you you see that yeah. energy come up i mean because i like it's, I it's a business. power differential a power dynamic yeah, I mean, like, the therapist I, needs to address in their own therapy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that again. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know that it's like getting it done and leveling up. I think it's knowing that you're not done is the thing. You know, like I, I know where the shadow is in the room because I'll tell you. Like, you know, it's yeah. the person that's like, cool. oh no, I I did CBD for six years. I'm all better. You know, that's yeah. you don't know where that shadow <laughs> is. <in there. laughs> and I think too, like how beautifully, and I when i found the brain spotting community i was like these are my freaking people like where oh yeah and i think that the uncertainty principle is part of what makes it my people because i have an absolute love hate relationship with uncertainty mm -hmm. i work with anxiety or i worked with anxiety and ocd because those are experiences that i can really connect with and that just like need to latch on and feel a sense of certainty and a sense of control over things I have no control over and how healing is not, how do I find better ways to control it, but is rather, how do I release control? Which is now we got to talk quietly about our crystals and releasing control. But at the end of the day, that's what it really is. And so the uncertainty principle was a freaking game changer for me. Mm -hmm. And I hate it. I want no part of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the freaking worst. And it's the best at the same time. <laughs> Well, I think that's how you, and I mean, it may not be the kind of stuff that you're doing, but like with trauma therapy, like I don't listen a ton to what people are saying as right. much as like what they're feeling. And that's the thing is like, you can, you can figure out pretty quickly 
yeah, you're afraid of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. And guess what? You don't know. Like you might get hit by a bus. What does that do to you? What's going on in your body? You know, I'm not saying I hope you get hit by a bus. I'm saying let's not talk about what you're in control of. Let's talk about what you're running from because I'm expensive and you like to change, you know. Right. You're 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 playing by the hour, friend. Yes. (laughs) And, 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 but people will map that somatically so quickly. I mean, their posture just shows you, you know, like what, what, what happens to them. And it's like, it looks like you're wearing a backpack or it looks like you want to, hide something or it looks like you want to just let go and disappear can and, i tell you that's <laughs> just so interrupting during no, no this is my... an interrupting podcast you want to push back <laughs> we um during one of my brain spotting sessions with my own therapist and so just a little self-disclosure here most of my parts show up as cartoon characters as animated characters or childhood characters like from never ending story so if they're not animated they're still very like you know, the luck, the luck dragon. No, no anime. That was never really. That's kind of a Gen Z thing. Yeah, it's more. <laughs> I, I'm. I am not Gen Z. <laughs> I'm a Zennial, so I'm in that like weird sweet spot. But um, it would be more like. Oh, but anyway. So then my um my backpack literally showed up as this little Disney character that like mm-hmm. clung on my back, and I was like, and we just in that we know he was my backpack, but it's just I just you said. You could physically see a yeah. person when they had their backpack. And I had a somatic experience just you saying that. And I was like, oh, yeah, my little backpack guy. And, like, I can picture him. And I'm, like, people who are watching the video are like, oh, she's gesturing a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, like, back before I did any kind of brain spotting or even EMDR or anything, um, I was doing, like, a lot of kind of, like, meditation hypnosis stuff. And so, like, whenever there was somebody who came in that, like, didn't know that they were angry, I would just start doing the because it was all customized to you. People, I think, thought I was going by script or whatever, but it was like what you could see the semantic thing. But it, I'd always just be like, you're walking in the woods and the straps of your backpack are very hard. Very, They're digging into your shoulders. You feel it in your shoulder blades. You feel it in your knees. But only you can carry the backpack because you have to do it. And you're resentful and you feel the sweat and I'll take the backpack off you know it's like because you can once you just make somebody feel the thing you can see how it's showing up somatically in their posture immediately and just help them well and that's the attunement piece right that's that's the attunement and I get on that soapbox all the time with my so I'm a brain spotting consultant as well so I help people go through the certification process right and I and I lead a, a free monthly consultation group on it and so many of our conversations around it are it's not the setup. The setup mm-hmm. is sexy <laughs> yeah. because it's got this series of steps. We can say, well, which setup is right for this and which setup is right for that. And, it's the fun and, metaphor somebody came up with that they're proud of. It's cool sounding, yeah. but it's not the work. And it, well, and it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, it, it's not the work and it's not the thing. It's the vehicle for the, th- the setup is the vehicle. The thing is the uncertainty and the attunement. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyways, I'm not going to climb on that. Zone. <laughs> well, the uncertainty on the behalf of the clinician, too, because like I, I've said this before, but it's yeah, like, that's I, what can, I was talking about for both of them. Oh, I can teach you how to hold the stick and I can teach you that when the pupil does this, then you maybe need to bounce a little bit or that mm-hmm. you need to check and see if there's if they actually are on Adderall, even though they're saying they're not on Adderall or, you know, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. it's just not whatever. Like I can tell you all that. But when the patient is liking it and going into the uncertainty and feeling a distressing thing that no one else has helped them connect with and you put the stick down because I don't want to make people feel bad, you know, you haven't done your own work and you don't know that there's a good thing on the other side of the bad thing. I cannot teach you that. Go to therapy. You're not ready to do brain spotting. Yeah. Well, and you haven't, I would say on top of that, maybe you've not had that experience for yourself and go get 
a practice partner and experience it. Cause the second you have that, you're like, Oh my God, I'm so glad that person did not move that pointer. I will share. I had that. And I, um, a lot of times when I'm assisting with, um, with pie fry, I'll, we'll t I'll share this experience because in my very, my very first phase one, my very first demo or practicum, right. Was the, um, outside window. And I looked everywhere except for that pointer. I mean, mm -hmm. I was all over the place, but I always knew where it was. And I always felt really appreciative that the person just held it there because it felt like it kept me. It is the thing that kept me from flying into outer space, which mm -hmm. we would call, you know, like kept me from flying out of my window of tolerance or, you know, yeah. moving in and out of dissociation. But it was like I needed it there more than I would have thought. I would have thought, OK, once you find the eye position, then like there it is but I needed that person to be holding that place. So I didn't have to manage that. It was like, I could go mm -hmm. wherever and come back to it. And it was just a really, um, it was a really powerful experience. Yeah. And so going back to having had that experience, I will hold that thing until the end of time. And I'll be yeah. like, let me know when you're ready for me to put it down. And I don't know if you ever have this where, and I've, I don't know if this is you too, where like there really always is a pointer within arm's reach for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I will be holding it and I'll say, you know, okay, and just let me know when you're ready. And they'll go, okay. And I don't know if they're okay meant I'm ready or okay, I'll let you know. So I'll hold it and hold it. And eventually they'll be like, you can put that down. I'm like, okay, then I won't put it down. <laughs> because I take so seriously not putting it down until a person is ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're totally in control and they know that they're in control. Yes. Even though you're holding the space. And and similarly, when someone says, I need you to put that down and they mean it because they can't like that yeah. is it being up is what pushes them out of the window of tolerance. Yeah, I believe you. Mm -hmm. Away it yeah, goes. These are the ETT ones. Um, when yeah. the, you do the, the color stuff. The color stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. yeah. You have the traditional pointer too. Yeah. Um, well, that, um, that, so when, what do, where do you see as like uh, the place that, therapy needs to go you know like you you have started you end up in brain spotting brain spotting like you're, you're kind of describing the thing that i noticed where people who are open to brain spotting and get into it even if i know nothing else about them i know that they were okay with something that wasn't a hierarchical system of steps if this happens then do that do the 12 movements and then you know like i know that they're going to be open and that's generally going to be the kind of clinician that somebody's asking for when they say you know what's the first thing to look for it's not that i mean i think brain spotting works for an amazing amount of people it's like one of the wider nets out there but I, even if you don't need that exactly you're going to end up with somebody who's open to uncertainty you know, and, and, yeah. and open to just letting something happen where the, a lot of the models don't make room. I mean, what do you see yourself and, and just the profession like heading, you know, post, post that? Ooh, that feels like a big question. I see myself <laughs> trying to remember that. And this maybe is not at all what you were asking, but it's where it goes, which is case in point. I see myself finding out more about the ways to make this accessible to people outside of the therapy room, which is kind of what I love about the coaching aspect and about how brain spotting doesn't much un, very unlike lots of other modalities where like the licensed clinicians have a lockdown on it. It's not that way with brain spotting um, for, for better or for worse, kind of depending on who you talk to. But I think that making it 
more widely communicated to people that it's it's not only for trauma. And I mm-hmm. and I tell people too, part of how I picked brain spotting and, and got into brain spotting is because I did not want to be a trauma therapist. And you know, I was a little baby therapist and I didn't want to deal with trauma. And everyone who is a therapist is laughing right now, going, ha ha ha, that's impossible. It all stems from trauma, right? Like so people I still say it. <laughs> yeah. And I got into the therapy space and I was like, well, shit, <laughs> it turns out, <laughs> which goes back to even with coaching, right? Like it's, if you're truly hitting, like not hitting people where it hurts, but like getting deep in with coaching, you're going to bump up against a little bit of trauma. It's really unlikely that you won't. Well, it informs which is your purpose and your life's trajectory yes. and all the stuff you're going to coaching for, but there's difference yeah. in understanding how that informs your life and making it conscious and really yeah. trying to dig into somatic chunks of stuff that is yeah. hard to get out of the subcortical brain. Um, I mean, there's, there's just two different things, but yeah, you're in conversation with it. It's just. Right. Right. But so working with a coach who has that background and knows even what to do when you do butt up against the trauma. Right. But so mm-hmm. what happened is I was, you know, I was having this realization of like, well, shit, turns out I'm going to be a trauma therapist because all of my clients have some varying level of, traumatic experience that needs to be cleared out, right? And my population also did not, I, I work with a lot of people. And, and by the time I closed my practice, a lot of my clients did realize they had trauma. But when I was, you know, early starting on, there was a lot of like, not really. Yeah. Like, no, no, my life has been pretty good. Um, not a lot of traumatic things have happened, you know, and then come to find out that things that maybe the broader world would not have called traumatic, but were in fact very heavily traumatic for that person. Well, I think trauma is like, so it's It's become, well, I like that trauma is more the focus of therapy now and gets brought up a lot, but I also feel like in doing that, it's become too big of a word. Well, yeah, there's strain trauma, there's acute trauma. And there's also just like, I know that like, I mean, half of, yeah, I mean, I'm calling all of this trauma because it's become too big of a word. But like you witness something in Iraq, your buddy gets blown up. You keep re-experiencing that as a flashback. That's PTSD. That's trauma. OK, yeah. I see dad hit the wall one time and almost hit me, but then he never did hit me. But I mm-hmm. thought he might. And I've got mm-hmm. this strain trauma of that went on all the time. And so my body was ready for it, even though it didn't happen. But I didn't have the experience. So I'm not allowed to have it. So it's not. Well, you're traumatic. gaslighting yourself. Yeah. Right? So that, like I'm that. having a reaction to something that didn't really happen, like self-gaslighting, which is well, a little soapbox with me and CBT. Yeah. But anyways. So we're calling that strain <laughs> trauma now, right? Yeah. You know, which yeah. I'm glad there's room for that. But then there's also like everybody said the family is normal and fun. And this is what it's good. And it's supposed to be like this. But I knew that it this wasn't normal and fun or right. But I called it that with language in my head. Yeah. But I knew something was wrong for 18 years. And now I can't. You know, that is trauma too, but it's like we're putting, and then, you know, I could go on, but you kind of know what I mean there. Um, I do. Well, and what you're making a case of point for, you're making a case for my point, which was most of my clients did not recognize their trauma and had, and so I was sitting there like between EMDR and brain spotting going, okay, which one, you know, am I going to like set up shop with? Because I did not have the budget to do both. And I knew my people, my people I love them so much and they are Googlers and they're going to research the shit out of anything. 
Mm-hmm. And I knew the second they Googled EMDR, it was going to be PTSD, veterans, and all these yeah. things, and they were going to immediately dismiss VA it. studies. Yeah. Versus it, brain spotting, they were going to Google and be like, there's, I don't really know. Like, it's not really out there. So I then tried to really hard tackle the SEO in my area for brain spotting. Yeah. And I, I dove straight into it because I wanted to be the first person to speak it into existence for the them. The biggest variable for SEO is time, too. Yes. So that I, but so that I could speak it in a way that made it not about the trauma. Like, yes, it does that, but it's so much more than that. And I think that's Mm -hmm. true of all these supports because people will be like, well, EMDR is great for all that too. Like, yeah, no, I'm not saying it isn't. I'm saying if you Google it, good luck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So that was why I, that was how. Well, the rigidity of that model too. Like the the EMDR, I mean, one of the reasons that I left is that I was saying, hey, I'm noticing that the pupil wibbles here and that the person has a reaction on that spot. And when I stop there, they visualize things from the experience, do the 15 movements, they're holy and handed down by Shapiro and you can't change the 15, you know, and it's like, why am I paying for $300 an hour for a consultation where you're telling me the number 15 over and over? Like I can read, you know, and there's no ability to, to evolve, you know, and I do. And I do. I know many, many EMDR therapists who, who are evolving with it. And I think that's amazing. I just think when people like you and David came out and said, Hey, I'm noticing this. It sounds like you just it, well, it's, he did it's that a shame, as a, right? Like it's a shame yeah. that that you weren't met with more curiosity. Well, but Shapiro said if you change EMDR, you're not doing my EMDR. You know, whereas Which is David true, said this but, is supposed to go on and change. Yeah, and so you know the the free spotting people can say they do brain spotting, but yeah. evolved EMDR, you know, according to the founder, is not EMDR. Yeah. Well, and I don't know, I, I I got out of the rabbit hole of EMDR, so I can speak to what my understanding is, but it's all going to be opinion, not informed yeah. decisions, which again is my third pillar, so I try not to do it. <laughs> but like, yeah, I do, I, I that was how I, stu- I say I stumbled into brain spotting. That was how brain spotting chose me, is because mm-hmm. I needed something that my people were not going to Google and immediately dismiss because they were already dismissing the fact that they had trauma. Not dismissing, but they were already on this on on the stand taking a stand of that's not what i'm here for i'm not here to process trauma i'm not having flashbacks because they weren't having what flashbacks look like in the movie right but um gosh that was a whole long conversation that stemmed out of us just talking about like who else do i work with yeah well <laughs> so but i think like folks. brain spotting you find the more things in the file because there is this openness like mm-hmm. even if somebody Google's EMDR and they see somebody say, actually, you can use EMDR for creativity. And that's result number one on Google. Okay. You're still sitting there being like, what do you want to treat? Where does it, what is it like? How is that affecting you? What's the bad experience? You know, what's the thing with brain spotting? It's just kind of like, I don't know, feel the energy, look at a stick. And then your body, your, your brain is just smarter than any analyst. It's smarter than any patient. Your deep brain will tell you what it is. And sometimes we really want it to be page one of the file. And we're just talking about that and talking about that in CBT or something. And then you just let go for a minute and get the front of the brain out of the way. And brain spotting's like, here's all the other paper in that file, man. It's a lot of other things are on that same, you felt yep. trapped, you know, yep. network. Which, which full circle is so true around alcohol, right? Like yeah. people think it's just about, I don't want to crave it and I want to not have a craving. And it's not, it's, so, it's, it is so woven in and it is a web in social relationships and, family relationships and our relationship to our business and our bodies. And it's, mm-hmm. it's so woven in. It's really hard just to say, 
I just don't want to crave it or I'm just going to take a break. That's, um, I know, and I'll wrap up soon. That's my one of my main salt boxes that I get on. And this is actually, I have a, in addition to the what type of groundhog day dream for are you, I do have another free training I can share with anyone who's interested, but where I talk about three of these points, but one of my main points is if we're going to take a 30 day break from, from drinking, mm. that to me, and we're going to call it a reset. And yes, there are physical things that happen in those 30 days. Like that is undeniable, but to me, that is then we're going to finish the 30 days and then say, okay, now I'm going to go towards moderating, right? Because I've realized I don't need it. I don't want it as much. I'm much healthier without it. I feel so much better. But the problem is we've effectively taken our dirty laundry, shoved it in the corner for 30 days and said, well, yeah, now I don't smell it. I don't have to look yeah. at it. Like it, I don't have to deal with it, but the laundry's still not clean. Like we mm -hmm. didn't actually solve the problem. We just shoved it in the closet for 30 days. And then when we get it back out to then say, now these clothes are clean is it's a damn lie. Is what yeah. it is. Well, I mean, what happens is your tolerance went down. So you're drinking less just because it's affecting you more and it'll take, you know, three months for it to creep back up. And then, Oh, January's here again, you know, and then you're on groundhog day. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting too, because like the younger generations are pretty, I mean, you know, things maybe could change, but the data has stayed pretty consistent that people drink less and there's certain things like, they're savvy. Like, yeah. Like they're, they're risk averse. I mean, some of it I think is that whatever you call it, Delta, you know, 10 or whatever, but you know, they can get marijuana easier. Some of them or, but there's also just like, there's a risk averseness. Um, and like you just looking at like market trends and things, things like wine, like when boomers are not drinking anymore, like wine is gone. Like as an industry, there's the only sectors that have grown for like five years are like investment bottles, like over $300 a bottle and, and like buzz balls that you get at a gas station that are like but, under five. But when we think about the genius of alcohol as a money-making franchise or mm -hmm. a money-making company, like way to do it. When you start to realize the number of conversions you're about to have is going to decrease you better increase the price of every conversion and sell the more expensive stuff yeah. to maintain that i think mm -hmm. i mean business-wise it is astounding like i am in like all the admiration for the industry but i think what you're talking about too with with the younger generations or i guess they're not even that young anymore but i'm just that old but yeah, they're old enough that they could be drinking if they wanted to exactly yeah. the, the, there's this savviness now. there's this savviness because it's the similar to you know, those of us who grew up when the studies were able to tell us that like smoking was actually not healthy for you. <laughs> like mm -hmm. we have that now we've got more hardcore evidence that alcohol just really has zero health benefits and any yeah. that we get touted or You're just absorbing the benefits when you study it of socialization, mm -hmm. extroversion, community, and then there's like a secondary effect, but you, every time they try and generalize it just to alcohol, you, you can't, um, yeah. it, it's not good for you. Nope. And that's why, that's why I get on my soapboxes <laughs> because I know that there are people who it's not bad enough that they want to go to therapy or they want to go to therapy for their trauma and they're paying, you know, a zillion dollars an hour, which is well worth it. Right. Like, mm -hmm. but they're picking and choosing what needs to come up in that hour yeah. and it's the trauma and the drinking is just kind of this other side thing where it's not problematic enough to warrant therapy time but it just nags at their brain and they end up on that groundhog day where it's like, ugh, 
okay, I'll try again today. Okay, dry January is coming up. You yeah. Know. Well, and like there's a lot of people who I think genuinely want to work on that, but they're not at the place where they need 12 step to be alive or employed or married or whatever. And they're afraid that if they go to a therapy office and say that, that they're going to be told you have to go to AA and come back. You're not ready. Commit, you know, whatever. And yeah, I mean, maybe that's right. Some of the time, not every therapist who says that to somebody, they didn't need to hear it, but there are people who I think avoid therapy because they don't want to hear that. And if they need something else, I'm glad it's there. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That was well said. Yeah. And I, it's important to me to be part of why, of how there is something else there for them. Yeah. Not to take away from any of these other methods, but just to add and say, there's a subset of people who, even if that were right for them, they're not going to do it. So we mm -hmm. need to get them in another way. Yeah. You have anything else that you were working on or that you would like to talk about? I mean, brain spotting and, and um, gray area drinking are kind of you, what you're, you're loud and proud about on the internet, but are there, are there other, uh, other kind of insights or questions you, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to keep um, these open-ended. Yeah, no, I mean, I get loud. With the uncertainty you're principle. Right. You're like, oh gosh, don't, I, I will go all day on that. Um, mostly that. And then, like I said, the perfectionism and the business ownership thing and how, um, a lot of it to me is people end up buying these like Aaron Condren planners and, you know, overhauling their schedule to try and be like their most productive version of themselves, especially business owners, because we want to be able to walk away. We, from we have this like CEO cult, you know, yes. like yes. the masterclass thing where they're like, oh, I want to get into, uh, you know, playwriting. I need to like buy 12 hours of David Mamet talking or something. And it's just kind of mm -hmm. like, I don't know. We just have this weird thing where, like, I, I don't know, why would you want to be like Steve Jobs, you know? Like, it just, like, that's well, something that so many people, I get that there's aspirational things about these people, but there's a lot of that kind of, like, the cult of the executive that is not healthy, you know? Oh, absolutely. And a lot of, well, I'm not going to go, I was about to go straight back to alcohol. You're right, it is the thing I'm most loud and proud about. Because I think it's the first domino that needs to fall before these other things fall in place. But to go back to this idea of, business ownership, right? I have a I have a friend who I know who she calls it for her clients, they want to be time rich. And so that's why they aim for the CEO mindset, right? Because then it's time wealth. It's mm -hmm. I started my business so I could have I I'll could have afford the lifestyle I want and I don't have to be tethered to my business, right? Versus yeah. that hustle startup mindset. And so I, I'm not I don't want to steal her terms, but I was just like, oh yeah, you nailed it. Um but so a lot of the business owners I work with, they're it's like they get in their own way with the perfectionism and the overthinking. And then they want to like color code a calendar because it's like, well, then I won't procrastinate. Procrastination is a huge thing. I brain spot with a lot of my clients is the business owner ones is the procrastination. Um, because we look at it similarly to not necessarily a trauma, but yeah, where it's like, well, there's some sort of like thing in you that's saying like, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Like anything but that, right? Like or it's an a anger. Visceral so response. much of that avoidance is like there's an anger that you kind of don't like what you're doing or how you're doing it or your relationship to it. Yeah. You well, know? and then what happens is people try to figure it out. Well, am I angry at it? Is it because I'm afraid of success? Am I afraid of failure? But all of those questions are in your top brain. And that is not where you need to make the switches. We need to get in the brain and body to make the switches. So that's just kind of the that's kind of the next level of work I do with people is, okay, we've dealt with the alcohol. Now let's deal with any lingering perfectionism, procrastination, 
stuff. Yeah, I, um, I think like we we think emotionally and or like our thoughts come from emotion and then we figure out what they are with thinking, but we pretend it's the other way around. Because it know, feels good because that's a sense of control. Yeah, it feels like I'm in control more than I am. Yeah. But then we do I, it. That's why I love and hate uncertainty. <laughs> well, but we do it the opposite when we're dealing with like society things, because that also makes us feel in control. Like people pretend that like politics is about values or something. And it's like, no, I think it's about material reality. Whereas like with your body, like in your brain, like what you're thinking has so much more to do with what you're feeling. And then you are rationalizing, not just rationalizing that. That sounds like it's too reductive or writing it off too much, but you're figuring out what that is later. But I mean, just look at the way that the brain is wired and running. You were feeling first before you were in language or in time, you know? Mm -hmm. So start yeah. with that. And, and we pretend it's backwards that no, I'm just going to think my emotional way. I'm going to solve an emotional problem intellectually by talking about it. And then eventually I'll feel different. Yeah. And, you know, and there are people who, because they thought about it differently, not because they thought about it differently, they thought about it differently. Somewhere something shifted and they mistakenly assumed that was why it shifted. And so yes. we're giving it the credit when that was a coincidence or a springboard for something else to happen, if that makes sense. And so it gets the credit sort of like, oh gosh, listen to how I really am like a soapbox person, aren't I? learning so much about myself on your podcast. So Go much off, like um, the idea that, that dry January gets the credit for a reset for drinking when really it's not like we're giving the credit to something that didn't do anything. It, yeah. it was a vehicle, but it didn't do the thing. We have to get, we have to figure out what did the thing and then focus on building that skill, which well, I think is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, analytical therapy is where that happens. I mean, Irvin Yalom yeah. used to say, you just let them talk until they feel, and they'll say, it doesn't matter what they're saying, they'll say the same thing, and then all of a sudden they'll feel it or something. And I love I remember, a good Yalom quote. I love a good Yalom quote. <laughs> well, like, there were, like, I remember listening to, like, 70s Jungian analysts, like, tapes. Like, they were, they were digitized when I had them in college, but they were, like, literally, like, ripped off cassette tapes, and you could hear, like, the yeah. rewind scrub and stuff. Um, but they were like one of the things like they would all agree on that at the time I was like, what are you talking about? And now it makes sense was that like the patient only changes in this place in between being awake and being asleep. And you see them in the room for two years. Mom made me feel small anyway, because of this mom made me feel small. And then all of a sudden like, whoa, mom made me feel small and they yeah. felt it. And, you know, brain spotting takes you into this place between waking and asleep. But a lot of people feel like they're going to sleep or their clock stops and they lose time. You know, like it's that part of the brain that is informing what we do, but we're the yeah. ego is so afraid to let go and admit that it isn't in control, you know, mm -hmm. yes. which is the uncertainty Free. principle again. Yep. Is. And, and, and again, that goes back to that third pillar of the trifecta, right? Which is like, there is a difference between knowing something and knowing it. And that's the same thing you're talking about is like, I can say it and say it and say it. And then one day I freaking say it and I feel mm -hmm. it when I say it. And so it's, how do we facilitate that process? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think like when people get a self-help book or they go on a, a certain kind of like re religious or like secular, you know, life change course kick or, you know, executive coaching, like whatever, that's so much of the thing that actually happens is it gets you outside of yourself enough to have some perspective. And then it looks like it was the 17 step for success, you know, tier that you got to spend $5,000 to get the blue scarf or whatever. But really you just saw yourself differently because you did something different and like that could be free or yeah. a lot less. It could. Than, and than, I think, I think it's out there for free. And I think there's enough about 
nothing in the work I do out there for free that someone could probably piece it together for themselves and make it happen. And I'm happy about that. And what I virtually basically sell is, well, I can walk you through it a little bit faster than your trial and error method of figuring out how to make it work. And I think that's true of therapy, right? Like, you know, that, well, that's not always true of therapy because we don't heal in a vacuum and we need that relationship and that rapport, I think is really important. But the, that's true of CBT. Let me put it that way. Well, the, the <laughs> model... CBT, but I think you can CBT yourself if you have the right information. But it's a lot of guess and check and trial and error. And then, of course, there's CBT is not the part of the brain we want anyways, but it's an, it's yeah. an analogy. Anyways, well, okay, we should start wrapping it. <laughs> no, sure, yeah. I, I want to be respectful of your time. I can, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let you go. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I think that's true, though, that the the way that um, the, the the models of therapy that are actually new, because a lot of them, it's you're just kind of putting something in, in new paper or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the ones that are actually new is where somebody, you can see the therapist tried this and this and this and this. And none of it worked. And then they did this thing that worked for them. And then they were like, "How? what was that? How do I say it? And how do I replicate it? And then, ta-da, you know, you have, you know, Eric Erickson or something. Like, yeah. um, and, uh, like, the, those are, like, they're all attempts to go back to the place where you healed and then share it with other people when they're genuine, yeah. you know. And, you know, the, okay. the, cult, the cults or the uh, exploitive modalities are the ones where somebody is appropriating the language of healing and change to... And, and somebody who hasn't done it can't tell the difference. So, you know, of course, yeah, they're getting oh, they're... very well said. I like that. Make that a soundbite. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll send you a little clip. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on. If people want to get your services or find out more about you, like your free consultation group, if they're a provider, you know, what, what do you, what do you want them to go? We can link to anything in the show notes. Um, so definitely check those out. But um, we want to want to tell us some places where we can um, find out more about what you do and definitely tell us about your podcast. Cause we, we oh, like yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So the easiest way to find me the fastest is probably Instagram. And I'm just at Carolyn Robistow. I say it's the fastest because it's the easiest. It's just my name. There's no hyphens or anything. Just it's my name. Go find me. And every other way under the sun to connect with me is on there in some way, shape or form. <laughs> so it's kind of like the the easiest one stop shop, um, including my podcast. Uh, my website is Carolyn Robistow, but it's .net, not .com. I slept on that. I actually got rid of that com and then I couldn't get it back. And I was like, well, there you go. That's what happens. But uh, my podcast is called Brain Unblocked. And if you thought this was a soapbox, boy, I tell you what, there's 70 some odd episodes over there. (laughs) Plenty more soapboxes about it. So (laughs) come join me. Well, great. Um, We'll link to all of that stuff. And um, if there is, uh, if there's anything else, um, send it to me and I'll I'll link it in the show notes.